John Golia. I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Curtis. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Avemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your insurance just for listening to the show. We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations. So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead. Well, hello, John. This is a special edition of Flight Safety Detectives because we are talking about a current event. That event being a 737-9 MAX uh, produced by Boeing and operated by Alaska Airlines that had an in-flight problem uh, last night or yesterday afternoon, flight 1282 headed from Portland to Ontario, California climbing through 16,000 feet, uh, an exit door panel that uh, is classified really as a plug in the aft portion of the fuselage on this airplane has let go and of course separated from the fuselage over Oregon City. So <laughs> there's some parts of an airplane that are either in someone's backyard or in the woods of Oregon City. Um, fortunately, there were no serious injuries. The crew was able to get the airplane back on the ground in Portland. But now the investigative process starts with the NTSB, of course, the FAA, Boeing, and others to try and determine why there is a gaping hole in the side of the fuselage of this airplane. You and I have been talking um, off camera about a number of different issues with regard to a failure like this when it comes to the fuselage. And now, of course, this is just one more item or element of a 737 MAX um, that has to be looked at and scrutinized in addition to a missing bolt in the rudder, uh, engine cowling issues on the airplane that, uh, again, tarnish the reputation of the MAX, even though the pilots who fly it love it. So now the question is, John, are these quality control issues coming out of the manufacturing process or something else? Whose fault it is, I don't know. Remember, the uh, fuselage is made by another company called Spirit in the middle of the U.S., in Wichita. They've been making fuselages for Boeing and Airbus. They make them for both of them for a long time. And they've been making a lot of these Maxis airplanes. Like many products, it comes in different configurations. So the max, if you put the, the total, the largest number of seats on the airplane, so like 199 or up near there, uh, you need an extra exit. So they build the exit in when they build the fuselage. 
if it's not going to be configured in that manner with that many seats, they don't need it and they plug it. And by a plug, it's called just a, it's a sheet metal or composite, maybe in this case, blanking plate that close it off, close off that hole in the fuselage and like your, the rest of the fuselage. So when the interior is put in the airplane, particularly the sidewalls are put in the airplane, yeah, as a passenger, you would ne never know that that exists behind there. And they've been reliable. We've been using that those kinds of plugs on fuselages for 50 or 60 years. So there's something that happened to this one in particular that, that failed, and that's what the AD that they just pulled out with, with the mandatory grounding and the inspections, the, the inspections are going to take between four and eight hours per airplane to accomplish. And uh, early on, when it first came out, I couldn't figure out why it would take four hours to inspect an emergency exit window. But now, after looking at the details as they come, become public, it's clear that you have to remove a number of inside uh, panels from the airplane in order to gain access to the area to inspect it. And it's not clear yet exactly what the maintenance people will be looking at when they gain access to it, but I'll probably have that before the end of the day. But the, uh, the important point here is that it wasn't what we know is an emergency exit window, which everybody's been saying. It's really a part of the fuselage that on all the U.S. airplanes is not used. Uh, now, the only outfit that I know that uses that high-density seating is Ryanair, but I'm sure in Europe and in, uh, in, in uh, Asia or, or anywhere where there's high-density seating on the 737, they need to have that because the requirement is for every 60 passengers, you've got to have a way to get those people out of the airplane. So that dictates how many windows or doors you're going to have on the airplane. So, John, being with a, you know, I mean, there's a lot of questions for investigators to be asking and a lot of information that needs to be developed. The big thing, of course, is starting at the build process of the airplane. And the, the NTSB is going to have to go in and look at the build records, not only from Boeing, but of course, Spirit, since they make that portion of the fuselage, they make the entire fuselage tube. And they're going to have to determine whether or not is this a manufacturing defect? Was this a one-off? Or is this a systemic issue? I think that's the, the biggest question right now, because you just brought up that the mechanics are doing inspections because the FAA has put the airplane on the ground, basically, and they're telling them inspect it. But what are they inspecting for? Are you looking just to see if the plug is in place? Are you looking to see if there's cracks around it? Are you looking to see if there's enough rivets? In it? What do you think they're looking at? Well, it, I would suspect they're going to be looking at the whole set, that whole piece and the focus is going to be where the attachment points are. But they're going to look beyond that. There's no sense going in and, and doing a detailed inspection and, you know, and only limited it to a very small area. So they're going to really take a look at the whole entire area in case the problem is bigger than what just this one airplane was. So the area of inspection is going to be have a considerably wider view than just the area in question. Uh, you know, the, where did it come from? You know, both of us visited uh, Spirit years ago. That's a pretty first-class operation. So uh, could they make a mistake in assembly? Of course, anybody. People make mistakes. And that's what quality is all about. If, if there's a step that is complicated, 
that can cause a big problem. Quality control is supposed to come behind the person who did the work and, and determine that the work was done in accordance with the published procedures. Now, we saw a lot of that going on in, at Spirit. Could there be a mistake in that, in that process? Yes, there could be. Could an individual make a mistake in an area that doesn't require inspection? Yes, they can. So all of these factors are going to come in and probably change procedures for the future. Right? Fortunately, fortunately, very fortunately, this accident or event didn't cause any loss of life. So it damaged an airplane. We'll fix the airplane and we'll fix the problem. Right? And all we have to do at this point in time is make sure that all the existing airplanes don't have that same problem. So I'm sure in the last 12 hours or so that the FAA has been all over that airplane out there in Portland. And I'm sure Boeing drove down engineers and, and the FAA drove down their engineers uh, to get a look at that overnight. So they probably have a very good handle right now on the failure mode for that particular event. So that's going to be the focus. But having said that, those same engineers are going to be in saying, what if, what if this wasn't the one of, what if this, this secondary area had failed? So they're going to be playing the guessing game to make sure that the next inspections that they give out on this airplane, because this won't be the only one, the next inspections that this, these airplanes, 171 of them have to go through, will be more detailed and wider spread even. So well, there's, it, it, there's a couple things here, John. We know that you know, um, the DC-10 suffered a number of cargo door failures that uh, led to rapid decompressions, damage to the aircraft, and some of them crashed. Then we had United 811, Boeing 747 coming out of Honolulu that lost a cargo door. And unfortunately, nine people were sucked out of the airplane and lost their life. And there were injuries in the cabin. And so we're fortunate in this particular event that the airplane was at a lower altitude, around 16,000 feet when that plug let go, because the decompression that occurred wasn't as dramatic or catastrophic as if the airplane had been at 35,000 feet. It could have been, definitely probably would have been fatal and, and more damage to the aircraft would have occurred. The big issue for passengers right now is what's their comfort level? Uh, I, you know, I've been doing TV uh, ahead of this particular podcast and I've been talking about the fact that the FAA has now taken rapid action. They aren't waiting. They aren't pushing this off going, hey, we'll let the investigative process, you know, go a little further, you know, gets more information. They're actually taking corrective action now. That's kind of a rare event for this to take place, isn't it, John? Oh, it's it's very unusual for the FAA to move this fast. Uh, in theory, they're supposed to move this fast. But in history, they have been very slow to react. So it's really refreshing from my point of view that they're moving quickly because it, we just can't wait anymore. There's just so many airplanes, so many people flying that we really need to get in front of all these issues if we can, or at least be working at the, the pointy end. And in this case, the FAA did. They moved very quickly. So you know, maybe those engineers that came down from Seattle, certification engineers, I'm sure that they were get, at least having the... the data given to them by somebody that's in Portland, giving it back to the Seattle FAA office, that they were able to look at the, the records that they have and saying, you know, here's a critical area. This is something we, we can't afford not to look at now. And uh, and it was a Washington, D.C. decision, not, not Seattle, FAA, Washington, D.C., 
and probably the Secretary of Transportation as well, that decided, no, we'll put them on the ground, inspect them. You know, the other thing with uh, with regard to this is given the history of the, the MAX recently, especially with the bolt and the rudder and some engine cowling issues, this puts that airplane back under a high level of scrutiny for a variety of different reasons. One, as you and I have talked previously, this airplane should be the safest airplane flying out there because it's been scrutinized so darn much. Um, and all of a sudden, we continue to have these issues. Is this a, an isolated problem or a systemic issue that needs to be answered? And is this due to poor quality control, poor oversight, whether it's on Boeing's part or is the ODA program that authorized um, uh, designation that, the, that Boeing has or um, people have mischaracterized it as self-certification, but is that ODA program going to become another point of scrutiny like it did when MCAS came into existence? Well, I'm sure on the latter part, the, uh, the organizational designee for, for engineering is going to come under scrutiny again. But really, what baffles me is Boeing has spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this airplane. The quality control, which means inspectors, means additional people that are going to look at what's been work that's been done, has not grown. I'm told by people that work in there that they really haven't had a very large increase in the number of quality inspectors looking at the product. And we see the, pro the quality pro problems coming out of uh, South Carolina with the 787, and we see the another one right now on the on the max boeing needs to overkill they need to come in with with enough inspectors with enough knowledge to ride herd on these airplanes until the workforce and everyone else gets back to normal and then they can start peeling back some of those inspectors the airlines do that routinely in my my number of years with the airlines i've watched because we had so many problems with with uh airplanes that came out of heavy maintenance overhaul, so many problems, they they filled up the inspection ranks. All of a sudden, we had 20, uh, 30 additional inspectors spread over three days, three shifts, seven days a week, which is only, you know, maybe 30 inspectors in that instance would only mean 20 any given day. But it means that they had a lot additional people to do looking. And then a year later, after things settled down, all right, we start peeling those inspectors out of the operation. They start getting them back down to where they were before because it's expensive. I, well, I understand mm -hmm. that, but Boeing should have done that in the very beginning, come in with overkill, really ride herd on everything, and then back it off based upon what they see. You know, the other thing that we've talked about is, of course... <laughs> The, the the quality of the people that are actually working on these airplanes and manufacturing the airplanes. Um, you know, Boeing has lost a lot of talent through retirements and everything else. And we've always been critical of the NTSB for the same thing. They lost a lot of talent. So the quality of investigations has suffered. And now, I mean, is that, I'm, I think the NTSB should be looking at what's going on within the organization, Boeing and even Spirit. To determine whether or not, you know, again, is this because um, they they don't have um, the experience 
with uh, with people building these airplanes? Uh, is there a lack of, of course, quality oversight in the experience necessary in a quality inspector uh, to identify these problems? How are these airplanes getting out of, um, you know, the hangar, if you will, and into line service with these problems that, like we had talked about with the rudder issue, that bolt is a required inspection item. Yeah, I don't know how the bolts get out of there like that. But I've seen landing gear bolts get out without being installed too. And that's lack of quality going on. And what's really concerning, and I've been sitting here trying to figure out where, the, where they are in this process, but both Boeing and Airbus are pushing their authorities. They want to increase the production. In Boeing's case, I think they're doing 42 airplanes a month right now. They want to go up to 51. Well, if I was the FAA, I would tell Boeing, no, you're not going to 51 until you clean up the problems on the 42. So you start putting an airplane out that doesn't have a whole laundry list of problems uh, when it comes off the assembly line. And I'm sure the French will be doing the same, uh, taking a look at that, because when you accelerate the, the assembly line, essentially assembly line, people make mistakes. If you're not adding additional more work out of the existing crew without any safeguards over that, you're asking for trouble. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it's going to come up. People get tired, people get uh, complacent. You're going to have problems. So if you're going to increase the production like that, that's almost a 25% increase, then you best be putting additional safeguards in place so that the quality is maintained. You know, the other issue that you and I have talked about in the past, and it, you know, we had these discussions when we were talking about the MAX, is where is senior management? Where's the executive management of Boeing? Not only at the, the president, vice president level, CEO level, but where are the board of directors? Why aren't they asking the, high, the hard questions? Why aren't they scrutinizing? Hey, we keep having all these issues. What's going on down there? Um, who's asking those questions? You know, I think we've had this discussion years ago that they need to have people like us, even as advisors to the board, who can go down and ask those questions? Why? Because we've been there, we've done that, we've asked these types of questions, and we're not afraid to ask those questions and get the answers. And right. I'm just wondering, you know, do they not want to hear it? I mean, this is, you this know, is I, something that just I, cropped I, up yesterday. This has been a systemic issue. I, I've, I, I've seen what Boeing has done. Boeing, Boeing was all everybody was in Seattle, and they get a get uh, someone from Douglas comes in as president of the company after the merger, and they move the executive offices to Chicago, right? There's no airplanes being built in Chicago. So now it's just a paper pushing operation in Chicago. I see good operations that run. I, when the, when the Ray Valaika was the vice president of maintenance for Delta Airlines, and also for Continental, he did it there as well. It was part of his MO, right? Every morning when he came to work, he started his day walking the hangar, talking to the people, talking to the midnight, because those are the people that doing a brunt of the work and nobody's ever talking to them. He would walk through and talk to those people. What's going on? What are you seeing? And so on. So he had the answers. Go back a little way. I lived in the shadow of the General Electric engine, aircraft engine plant in Lynn, Massachusetts. I saw repeatedly at five o'clock in the morning, Herman the German, I even forgotten his real name, who was the head of that engine 
for GE, both in, in Ohio and in Lynn. He lived in, in Swampscott, Mass., right next door to the plant. He would walk his dog, and he would be in the plant in the middle of the night when he took his dog for a walk at 5 o'clock in the morning. Right? That's getting information. That's touching your people. In Chicago, Boeing in Chicago, they've lost that ability. They've lost the ability for somebody within their organization that's seriously concerned about what they're seeing, being able to feed it up to senior management so that senior management can address it. And maybe the addressing is, no, it's not an issue. That's usually not all the people want to know is somebody cares enough to listen to the, what their concern is and to look at it. And if it's not a concern, okay, it's not a concern. We move on. But sometimes and oftentimes it can be. And that leads to whistleblowers, too, if you blow them, if you ignore them. And certainly Boeing has had their share of whistleblowers, yeah. especially in South Carolina. And I'm, so, I'm sure, you know, along that line, John, if you took a bunch of retired Boeing people, recently retired Boeing people, you got them together and said, speak freely. You'd probably, and management would definitely hear a lot of things that they probably didn't know were even existing down on the manufacturing floor. Like too many filters in between, you know? So if, if I'm, I'm working for some manager and he's having trouble meeting whatever the deadline is, the numbers, whatever it is, and I'm saying, you know, this is a problem, this is a problem, and he sees that as a, a detriment to him eating his numbers, he's going to bury that. So by the time you get up to the decision makers that can address these problems, they're not seeing it. We're accusing the, we, in, the, in the war in the Ukraine, we're accusing the Russian generals of the same thing. They're not telling Putin the, the, the full story. I mean, that's just, that is probably the history of management in the world, that the people below never tell the guy, the emperor has no clothes, or whatever that saying was. Right? You're right. If they would have pulled these Boeing people back in a, in a no-holds-barred, tell-me-what-you-think conversation, they would probably find out many, many flaws in their organization that they could deal with easily, but no one has listened so far. Well, I think the uh, the investigative process, uh, because it's just getting started, um, of course, the NTSB really needs to find where that door fell over Oregon City, because like United 811, the 747 that lost the cargo door, that cargo door, once it was recovered off the floor of the ocean, provided a lot of answers to questions that the board couldn't uh, really answer just from examining the airplane itself. And I got a feeling that that door is going to hold the key to some of the questions that will, again, relate to safety improvements or inspections in this particular event as well. Yes. Yeah, you raised that door issue. Right? Before that door was found, the NTSB had issued a, a probable cause that was 180 degrees out from what it was after they found the door. So your point is very much alive and well in this case. You need to have all the data and having the door and all the pieces from that door missing uh, only gives us half of the story to make a decision on. And it may not be the right decision. Well, I think with uh, this special edition of Flight Safety Detectives, we will keep you informed as we get information or we start to develop ideas or concerns or at least issue areas that we think that the investigative team should be looking at because it is in the interest, not only of those of us in aviation, but the flying public. I know that there's a concern right now. I've heard it 
um, by passengers? Is it safe to get on the airplanes even after the inspections? Could this happen to me? Anything can happen, but you and I, John, are on airplanes almost every week. I still have a high level of confidence in the system. And like you said earlier, you know, the fact that the FAA is taking action now, they aren't waiting, we aren't pushing it off into the abyss until we get more information. That, from a passenger standpoint for me, gives me a higher level of comfort that, hey, look, they're not just sitting around, they're actually doing something. And if another inspection is needed based on new information that gets developed, so be it. But I know that, you know, we're trying to operate at the highest levels of safety currently. Yeah, and, and we will. And all the people doing those inspections, they're going to look and, and uh, it, they will themselves look a lot further around what the FAA says. You know, the FAA may say, look at this one foot by one foot area. They're going to look at four feet by four feet. They're not going to just focus on that little area. So yeah, it, it's going to get a lot of scrutiny. I, too, have no no fear. I love flying on this on the Max. Oh and yeah, I, it's a great airplane. Yeah, I love it. I, I think I'm on one this week. I'm not sure because American Airlines runs a lot of Max flights out of Boston, and uh, and that's what I'm going to be on probably. Oh good. Well, again, we will uh, we will keep our audience updated, and uh, we appreciate you watching this special edition of Flight Safety Detectives. Thank you for checking out our show. We really value our listeners and subscribers. Our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it. So please give us five stars in your podcast platform. We want to keep in contact with you. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. You can email the show at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube... We're really working on growing the channel, and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that, and we read all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe.